Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Keep your hands off, Azokin. Hello, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. We are on week 59, and we're continuing our discussion of Keep Your Hands Off Azokin with episodes, what episode numbers are these? Eight, eight and nine, nine and ten. Nine and nine ten. And ten. Nine and ten. I did not write down which ones they were, but I have the episode titles, which is <laughs> episode nine is Aim for Comet A, and episode ten is Against Our Independent World. Um, I am, of course, Noel Kirkpatrick, and I also think that there's nothing fun about social media. <laughs> and I am joined by Kate Minimori mm-hmm. Kolzek. Um, Allison Shoemaker, who normally joins us, is out on assignment, bearing witness to the death of a liquor store. <laughs> Uh, so, but Marcus is here in the chat, so that's great. So I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Um, and I want to open with the fact that I had conflated both of these episodes in my head a little bit, and they kind of overlapped in my reception. Um, I still think that episode nine is really, really great, if only for the Kanamori stuff, which I think is excellent. Um, but everything in, um, Against Our Independent World is just as good as I remember it being. Um, I really, really liked it. But that whole thing in the student with the student council and the faculty, I thought was in episode nine, which I think isn't a reasonable mix up to make given the focus <laughs> of episode nine. So, um, Kate, since you're the only one here, sort of, Marcus is here though. Um, <laughs> how did you feel about Aim for Comet A? And were you disappointed to discover there was no actual comet involved and that it was just a riff on a very, very large fan convention? Um, in Japan called Kamiket, which is what they're referencing with Comet A. Yeah, that was a surprise. Uh, I would not have guessed that Comet A is like basically Comic-Con, but it's interesting, certainly. And in uh, a different way to go, I'm enjoying this new like um, approach and the wrinkles that it brings with it for our heroes uh, for their final film of the season. Um, yeah, I definitely would not have guessed that, but I like that, that some of our other predictions still work mm-hmm. because of the yes. space theme and the UFOs and everything. Yes. Yeah. These episodes were absolutely delightful. Really liked them. Um, Minnie Mori and kind of money are good. Kind of money. Good so nicknames. Good. But the, but obviously Minnie Mori is the best and we're going to spend, mm-hmm. I'm sure, plenty of time talking about Minnie Mori and how it was absolutely adorable and also very sad um, at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the like push towards a fan convention as the culminating like venue for them, I think makes a lot of sense and it should be, it should be very interesting. I, I, it's hard for me to like wrap my head around. There's only two episodes left. Right? It doesn't yeah. seem like that's enough time, but mm-hmm. um, you know they're getting they're getting better at this, as we saw from the wizened thir- three time producer or director, you know, with the beard. <laughs> uh, Midori went full Miyazaki um, mm-hmm. with that outfit, and it was delightful, and it made me very happy. Yeah, they're getting more streamlined in their process. They 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 know more. They're able to you know go through the procedures. Um, uh, with with more confidence and hopefully a little bit quicker now that they have a couple shorts under their belts. But um, if only they could settle on an idea and a scenario and a script and what the aliens look like and what the plot is. Yeah, the the over. <laughs> I mean, this is episode ten, but the overexcitement of like when Cotton Morris has to like scrap and be like, no, no more ideas. You have to figure out like that's this for a different project. You have to figure out 
This one. You still don't know what the aliens look like. And, yeah. uh, and we need we need a thieves. You want to end with a dance party, but that means we need music. Before we can know what the music's going to be, we kind of maybe need to know the basic idea of a plot to know what they're celebrating, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's delightful. I really, I really enjoyed these. Yeah. Great. I'm really glad. I, I was just, when I was watching Aim for Comet A in particular, I was like, oh, maybe I overhyped this. And then against our independent world, as Marcus noted, is really, really strong. And I think it they provide also just a really solid kind of two-parter as well, which is one of the fun things I think about this show structurally is that it kind of ends up being like a set of two-parters at some point, um, even if they're not like direct, like A to B kind of two-parters as we think of them. But they always feel really kind of thematically linked, if not outright character linked as the Mizusaki episodes were. Yeah. Um, so I really like that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Aim for Comet A, which we get a... We get a lot of plot, I feel like, in Aim for Comet A as we get the Azokin going like, okay, we were successful, but we made no money because <laughs> the client keeps all the money. We get um, 15% of the profits, but yeah. that's not very much. Which was not enough. Um, plus everything that they do with like with the art club, giving gifts and that kind of thing to thank them for their hard work. And all this kind of stuff. Um, But then we also get the student council really beginning to really exert its authority again. Of like, oh, you're popular. We have to pay attention to you now. (laughs) And that means we're going to garnish your wages for your rent that you're charging. (laughs) Poor Tomeki. So how did all of that play for you in terms of like the business side of things before we get into the other business side of things, which is... Kanamori's well it's all related like Kanamori's drive for being this being successful against everything else yeah I I am very intrigued I'm the most intrigued I have yet been over the series about what the the lingering like threat or question mark um that we get in episode 10 Mm-hmm. about um you we won't be able to protect you anymore or that kind of thing or like that some or like the other shoe's gonna drop or something you know, i don't remember what the exact line was from the uh stew council person who shows up secretary uh, who's really the president but the secretary mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of more be like wait a second what does that mean and then we don't come back to it it's like oh like like well obviously we're coming back to that in the last two episodes i'm very uh intrigued here uh, so we'll see what happens with that. I the notion of maybe there's like a rift on the council over how to like there's inter-council politics about how to deal with Azokan um is very intriguing to me. I don't know that there's enough time for that to happen. Yeah. In the last two episodes, but um yeah, I was like, is this person supposed to be a threatening presence? Is this somebody like reaching out being like, hey, I'm your person on the inside? Like you gotta back off. The secretary is very much like a antagonistic force. Um, and you get that through like a lot of the way that the head is being tilted and like the shading of them is very much anime villain, like posturing and that kind of a thing. So that's very much a, this is a signal that someone is dangerous. Well, yeah. And it was, that was coming through loud and clear in the meeting with the teachers, mm-hmm. but less so for me in the later scene, but Good to know. Um, yeah, the, and and knowing that that is a like a like a like a, a coded type of posturing made makes a lot of that like design of of our meeting of the council and the Azoka and, and the teachers make a lot more sense because I was like, why are they 
not looking at each other. That seems very, like, Kanamori, it seems like the teachers would not respond well to that, and she's smarter than that, so there must be something I'm not getting, which was that. Yeah. Um, I also loved, love, 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 the pan across where we see the one teacher is absolutely on their phone. <laughs> the third, yeah, no, their advisor is not paying any attention to any of this. He's just, like, texting, texting. Mm-hmm. He's online and just like, yeah, no, I'm good. These kids are good. They're fine. They get it. <laughs> this is all good. I just have to be here, so I'm yeah. here. Um, yeah, the notion of, like, again, I continue to be entertained and um, – validated i think by the discussions around um art and commerce Mm -hmm. and this idea that well you can do all of this labor but you can't make any money from it that's ridiculous like like is (laughs) you know as someone who as in high school got hired to play someone's uh, i was well i was being hired to play someone's like private party as a violinist with my sister and they wanted uh, like a like an, an hour or two of of music, and so the the fee I was like, okay, so it'll be like a hundred dollars. And they're like, I wish I got paid fifty dollars an hour to just d- do something that I love. Like, and I and I, and I think at the time I said something like, yeah, it's pretty great or something like that. But like because I didn't have the language for you understand, I've been already as a high schooler studying this instrument for like. 10 years and I spend hours every day working on it and this instrument is expensive and my lessons are expensive and you better believe I'm not showing up at your party without having practiced beforehand and also how dare you yeah. <laughs> and then then they didn't hire me um because they thought I was trying to fleece them or something because I should be grateful to show up at their private home and spend my evening entertaining their guests because they want to be able to trot out the adorable young musicians and not Mm -hmm. actually have to pay like an actual professional who would charge them a shit ton more um so so i have a very you know i have very formulated opinions on whether you should pay high schoolers for their efforts and their time um and and this, this idea that the teachers have, I mean, yes, it does get into legal issues, certainly with yeah. using school property. And that, you know, adds a whole other dimension that I'm glad that they mentioned, uh, that they brought up. But um, but just the, the cluelessness of, no, you should work your fingers to the bone and not get paid for it because, you know, you're a kid, so... Your your time and effort is meaningless. I, I certainly that's the conversation that we've been having in the United States for a long time around college athletes, for example, but plenty of other other places where like the school is happy to make money off the robot club can make money off of their efforts, and the school can get promotional like benefits from their efforts, and the student council can get like prestige from having a this high profile club, but heaven forbid they get paid for their time. Yeah. So yeah, I, I certainly appreciated that aspect of that scene as well. Yeah, and Marcus notes that wouldn't earning money be considered financial business education, which is something Kanamori brings up. Yeah. Of like, this is still an education. This is just a different kind of education, and it's not being done through the school, but it, we're doing it as part of the school. 
It's vital, vital education, especially yeah. for people. I mean, for anyone, but especially for people going into the arts. Like the yeah. fact that, like, going getting a music degree, I never had to take anything approaching a, like a small business class or like a. By the way, did you know you have to pay taxes quarterly as an independent, you know, musician? Or, but I did have to take. Here's how you do an annotated bibliography, right? For your violin yeah. performance degree, you know, like the the lack of care for the how for teaching anything approaching a, a savvy economic um like just ground basis level of education for kids and for artists is ridiculous yeah yeah no it is um and i i agree with you i think that that whole conversation which again is in episode 10 we're, we keep skipping ahead yeah um <laughs> is like really drives that but i think it informs everything that we see in aim for comet a informs that scene so heavily right mm -hmm. um so let's talk about the whole idea of trying to revitalize downtown and particularly the underground downtown of shibahama um which gets tied into midori's fam not midori um kanamori's family of running the liquor store that became slash brewery that became a full-on liquor store that then becomes a general store that then crumbles because of land development and urban development, which is really nicely like presaged with the discussion of this town doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> there used to be a river here. It's gone now. Um, mm -hmm. And all the stuff about the flooding and everything, like it's all so rich and textured. But then it just informs so much of what's happening with Kanamori. So tell me a little bit about Kanamori and how you felt about the fact that they used the fantastical animation watercolor sketch approach that they typically use for whatever weird stuff the Azokan has come up with to do this completely non-fantastical flashback that's driven by Kanamori. See, but I think it was completely appropriate because they were they use that for the storytelling, mm -hmm. for the characters telling the story, uh, whether it's something they're dreaming up and they're planning for their their anime, or in this case, it's kind of more telling the Azokan about you know her experiences. Um, so it makes complete sense that they would use the same style. Also, it helps like really put you into like you know as someone with. Uh, future baby due in, you know, just over a month. Uh, it, it's a very, like, kind of child's picture book aesthetic, too, which also works yes, really well for, for the character's age um, to, to, like, connect you and put put you in her headspace, uh, of Minnie Mori's headspace. Um, the, it, it was so, you know, how old do you think she's supposed to be at this point? Like, 10? She's, I mean, she's definitely between, like, 7 and 10, probably, yeah. I would guess around there, yeah. Definitely not even, like, close to tween age. It's definitely still, like, elementary school. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and, you know, we, I don't know, I don't know about uh, out on the, 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 the West Coast out there in Tacoma, but you got some snow this year. We get snow outside Chicago. So sure. looking at, you know, eight-year-old Mini Mori, 10-year-old Mini Mori shoveling for hours, um outside to try to uh help you know to get some tips and and try to help the business and the family because she knows how much they need it basically or she doesn't even know how much they need it but she has a sense no, that they doesn't. do yes um it's just it's absolutely like it's it's adorable and sweet 
and also heartbreaking. What is going on in their family and in her daily existence? Like, cause we get a glimpse of that. Yeah. Obviously we like, cause we're seeing this stuff, but what is she hearing and experiencing at home that pushes her to, to do that? And we don't see her parents. Those are not her no. parents. No, it's her uncle and aunt, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, or it was. It's been like yeah. It's down. it's yeah. Pa- yeah. It's 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 a family business, definitely. But but we don't see her with her her parents, and yeah. Clearly, they know where she is, and they're comfortable sending their again second through fifth grader out to go shovel and to work at the store in the middle of a blizzard or your snowstorm of some extent. And what does that say about, you know, their circumstances? Um, so it's just, it's absolutely uh, heartbreaking while also being really like the art and everything, helping make it feel more warm and cuddly. And uh, like, also what does that say about the the shop owners, whichever direct, like her aunt and uncle or whoever, you know, in her family it is, that they are allowing her to keep shoveling while they stay inside and stay and, and stay warm. Not, and there's no sense that there's anything wrong with it. That it's bad. Yeah. It's just like, they aren't able to, and she is. And so she, this is how she helps out. It just, it, it paints an even bleaker picture than we get. So I thought, I thought they towed that line incredibly well. It was incredibly evocative. The going to the, the art of her just in the void, the white blank space, as she's hearing that the business is going to close down and that's, you know, you get a sense of how important, like she's there every single day. And yes, she's there every single day earning tips and, and that kind of thing. But that's probably not the only reason that she is spending every day there. And so she's losing this stability in her life, even separate from the financial part of it. She's losing this really cornerstone aspect of her daily routine and her stability um, and it's devastating to her. Uh, so yeah, it, it was it was a really effective sequence, and uh, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's for me, it's one of the big standout pieces, despite its obvious like subtlety of style and everything compared to everything else that the show typically does. And I'm glad you mentioned like the void in particular because it's a big formalistic flourish that they do to strip everything out. Um, but also like the way that they play with sound as she's everything's happening around her, um, mm-hmm. which calls back again to like some of the stuff that they do in episode 10 with the sound hunt and how Domeki is able to intrude upon the, their world basically and make it almost complete in a very different way. But we'll get there. Um, so I really like how all of that kind of, pre- again, provides a little bit of context for what's going to happen next. Um, so all of that then motivates her to be like, well, this is how we make money is merchandising. We have to make sure that we've got a social media footprint. It doesn't matter if you have a good product, if no one knows that you're here, mm-hmm. um, which all of which is to say, this is a really heavy critique of the actual anime industry where studios don't make very much money off of the shows. They just don't because of people who have to get paid. Um, from the... It's an expensive labor intensive process. Yeah. And like, so like the committees that provide sponsorship, they have to get their recoup money back. So basically you get money back through merchandising. Um, and that's the same with a lot of like, even within American 
uh, media conglomerate is like the ancillary stuff is actually where the money is because there's no actual money in the production. Like the CW, like all of the CW. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, the CW basically exists to produce enough programming for things to be originally syndicated where the money was and now to secure streaming rights where the money is. Um, unless you're just stranded on CW seed. Um, <laughs> so all of that, like, gets, like, interplayed here of, like, she's aware of how the industry works, even if she, she doesn't know how anime works. But mm-hmm. she knows that this is the key thing there. And she knows that the best way to kind of get away from the school is to go to the community. And, but that's also something that's important to her, which I really, really like that. That's the part that gets tied into that for me is like, gives it an emotional core is this whole idea of, I want to save these shops. Like this fruit ramen place is great. I don't want it to go away, but I also don't want the rest of this to go away either. Yeah. So how do we save them without actually saying that, but also, and save ourselves at the same time. Um, So I just find it all really powerful and interesting to watch um, how they weave all of that together. And I'm really excited for you and Allison and anyone else who's listening along with us uh, discuss this, see how all of this gets pulled together, um, which is what happens over the course of the next two episodes. And it's neat. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> say that. Um, the other last little bit from aim, aim for comet a is Midori's realization that everything's a performance. Oh my God. It's great. It's just the sweetest <laughs> thing. Like it's just, Oh sweet baby. You had all these good ideas and you were executing them really well. You just didn't know why. <laughs> and it was always something like I, when I was teaching um, like intro to film or not intro to film, but like film history and doing a lot of like, Um, basic film terms of like mise-en-scene and all that kind of stuff. I was just like, here's the fun thing. You all already know this. You just don't know the weird terms that we use for this. So here are the terms, but you, you can talk about this already. And I think that's the thing that she realizes is that, oh, right. I've been doing this all along, but it's all like, even her whole thing of like hitting the button when Mizusaki's ending her speech is performance. She just realized it looked cool. But everything that looks cool is performance. And that realization, I think, is just so sweet. Yeah, like, it's just such a um, clarifying moment. I really appreciate the way it's uh, written and performed. And but also just like the storyboarding and like, mm-hmm. and everything was just terrific. It's like, oh, I've been doing this this whole time. I can do it with intention now. Okay, yes, exactly. Um, which is a great thing to realize um, until you realize that maybe having intention is a bad thing because then yeah, you just start detract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You start getting obsessed with other cool concepts, which I think unless you've got anything else for this episode leaves us to against our independent world, which is a, which is really good, but it is also a very big montage of an episode. Um, but there's a lot of good stuff here, including, I do want to quickly call out the beautiful, wonderful Akira reference of Kanamori's bike slide, which is just iconic. Um, I just loved that so much. Um, but I also just love how grumpy Kanamori is during that whole bit. Um, yep. So tell me a little bit how you felt about Against Our Independent World um, I don't think we need to talk too much about the student council meeting, so I think we got it. But the sound hunt and the the big mill 
that they the generator plant area that they find, which is just badass cool location. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's been doing a podcast for almost ten years, goodness knows I can appreciate. Okay, everybody, be quiet. We need some room noise. I mean, don't phrase it that way, mm-hmm. but um, you know, and and that's something you know, my students. Are, we're going to be doing because of COVID. We're doing a, a distanced YouTube recital, and so I have had to talk with them about. So before you start recording, you need to just listen. And is there a hum from the refrigerator or the air conditioner? Because that's going to come through in your sound. And is, you know, like you have to be aware of how, of what's getting picked up and how you're standing and how the direction of what you're doing. So I appreciated all of the like like the take off your jacket. Your jacket's making noise, <laughs> and, and 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 the um. You know, something that you would expect to be such a solitary activity, like n- out of necessity, just just because like if you have other people there, especially if they aren't as knowledgeable or as on top of, you know, as as aware, maybe uh, as Demeki is that like they're just going to mess up your takes and your audio. And so you know, like expect that to be a solitary activity and for them to be able to turn it into a group activity because the rest of the Azoken, um actually listens and and does what Demeki needs so that they can get these different sounds and really capture them. It was it was neat and it, a part of the, you know, the, I won an argument with Kanamori <laughs> of like there's benefit and they're learning from this experience as well. They're 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 curious and in, engaged in rounding out this now that they understand the import of sound to what they do. Uh, they they also they want to understand that part of it as well, so they can be better at what they do. Um, so it was neat to just kind of see that and to get you know we've talked about this before, but to watch them just having some fun. Yeah, and you know it's also a good uh, a good moment of you know, you need to have breaks. It's something Allison has talked about of like the oh, I must clean my kitchen before I couldn't possibly right you know like it's procrastination, but sometimes the procrastination is part of the process because yeah. you have to let the back of your brain kind of put things together. You need to take in more from the world around you and from your experiences and relationships to be able to make some of the breakthroughs that you're stuck in. Cause if, if you're just repeating the same processes and repeating the same daily experiences, you're going to keep thinking in the same way. And that has not helped break through whatever thing you're doing. So so I, I love that going on a field trip basically <laughs> helped shake loose too many ideas, but some helpful ideas as well. Yeah. Um, and I want to pick up what Marcus just said, because I think it's kind of key to like the back half of this episode, which is Marcus really, and I'm going to loves, loves, loves the sound design in this episode in particular, which is why it's his favorite thing from the whole series. Um, the visual representation with the bell and everything else and still having the characters make the sound effects. Which I wanted to specifically, Noel, thank you for mm-hmm. bringing to our attention in the previous episode yeah. of the podcast <laughs> so that I could fully appreciate it in mm-hmm. this episode. Yeah. Um, that it's just, it's really neat. And one of the things I really love, especially with the visual representation of like the bell is the way that Domeki controls it almost right by interrupting the sound wave or like making sure that when the bell hits, the chimes basically fade out so that the bell can be heard and then they come back Mm -hmm. and watching that design play out on top of how, like what you were saying, it feeds into the fact that there's this respect for what Domeki does because they recognize her basically as one of their own um, in terms of the obsessiveness, but also the 
knowledge and the appreciation for exactly what she does Mm -hmm. and how important that is. Yeah. Even if they don't always like know like how it all works, like, is this the right fuzzy thing you were asking about or take off your jacket? It's making too much noise. Um, So I think that there's a lot of really good stuff in this um, that will really drives home. I think, just how important this little quartet has become. Um, and also the ways in which, yeah, the power of sound, which is like what literally one of my notes is the power of sound with periods mm-hmm. between each of the, each of the words, because it's just, it's really potent. It's really, it's really, really neat. Yeah. And, and again, the visual representation of that with the black void now with the color, the green and the blue, uh, as lights for that. I, I, it was very Fantasia for me with like the sound squiggles, um, original Fantasia, uh, and uh, the the description of the different types of sound visually to help layer that in. And and again, bless their hearts, the Azo can be like, oh, you like layer sounds the way that we layer animation? Like, yes! What did you think? Okay, okay, that's, you didn't, okay, it's good that you're learning. It's good that you're learning. Yeah. <laughs> but, some, you know, if you're not thinking about it, you know, wouldn't necessarily come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like that, that, um, the other thing I do want to call out real quick is the, the fact that Domeki's snoring basically creates a sound, (laughs) (laughs) which is just a wonderful little joke of like the snore absorbs all other sounds. You're just in space. Um, but the ways that gets also represented is like, pistons and stuff turning and just all that really fun stuff of how it the sound itself triggers something that they don't even know what they're listening to yet but it triggers all these associations in their brain um so yeah it's just it's really good um what else did stood out to you in against our independent world well i guess the only other thing that we haven't really mentioned is i did appreciate the the color palette Mm-hmm. Of this one feeling so distinct when they're out on, you know, in nature. And again, that, that, the shift in, that it's pretty, at least based on my very limited experience in anime, seems very common of like a city set thing um, or a spaceship set thing, having different palettes that are returned to and this more like golden hue for everything when they're out in na- nature really makes a lot of sense. I really liked uh, the attempt, like coming back to the, uh, the clock you know, and mm-hmm. everything and, and bringing that back in. And I, I, because it's been mentioned several times throughout the season, I kind of expect it to somehow play in, in the, the last two episodes, but who knows, maybe it won't, maybe it was just this, which is plenty. Um, but it, yeah, getting to really explore and have fun in the city in these two episodes, um, both just the, like the, it's, it's even just like a meta narrative or meta, meta commentary on see all the work we put into our city design guys. <laughs> when we were like, you're we like, this city doesn't make any sense. We were going somewhere with it and we spent a lot of time writing a Bible about, you know, there was a tram and then it got changed to a monorail, but they never finished the monorail. But hey, that still screwed over lots of local businesses and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, it was, it was lovely to see. You know, that that thread throughout these two episodes to see the different art styles through, you know, the different, you know, this I think was one of the pairs of two that has had the most striking and just even most number of different visual approaches to the scenes. And and I feel like this was a good balance. It wasn't, it would be easy for that to be too jarring or be too much. 
Um, and I expected to tighten in a little bit for the last two episodes, but um, but I certainly enjoyed it. And I assume we're going to get a bunch more animation stuff and a bunch more student council school fighting in, in the last two. So having a bit of a ramble out in nature or out in, you know, with the sound hunt, I think was a, a very nice way to spend our anti-penultimate episode. Yeah, I think so too. Um, so yeah, Marcus, if you have any last um, thoughts about the episode, please drop them in the chat. Um, and Kate, I'm going to give you the episode titles for okay. the penultimate and the finale of um, Keep Your Hands Off Azoken. Uh So episode 11 is called Each Other's Existence. Each Other's Existence? Yes. <laughs> okay. So maybe this is about needing to... I mean, it's, I, I'm still thinking in the back of my brain, you know, in these episodes, the fact that the title of the show is Keep Your Hands Off Azoken. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that they said, keep your hands off student council was a quote earlier, um, referencing the power of the student council in the school and like, that you don't mess with them. So therefore I've, and I've been waiting for that title to come into play for the show, like a keep your hands up Azoken. So I'm guessing maybe that'll be something that we see come to a head in these last two episodes needing to, um, like really establish themselves as like, you think you don't mess with uh student council, you don't mess with Azoken. So mm-hmm. um I'm gonna say maybe there's something that's going up where there's student council and like like um game recognized game, sort of like we have to respect each other's existence, um, or something like that. Uh so it also could be the characters, but that's sort of what I'm that's what I'm thinking of for that. Okay, cool. All right, so the finale the episode is Real easy. You're going to have, you're just going to knock this one right out of the park. Babe uh-huh. Ruth, call your shot right now. Uh-huh. Is the Shibahama UFO Wars. <laughs> just, that's, that's the name of the show. It's the, name, an, of the, it's the, the name of the name project of the that they're working on. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, which, uh, I, I, you know, maybe I wouldn't have, have clocked uh, if we hadn't previously had the machete one be the mm-hmm. name of the show. Uh, so yeah, so I, that one, that one's easy. Uh, but yeah, I, I like actually kind of not having a sense, of, like a tease about the last episode, because like I was saying, it, it, uh, it seems like not enough time to pull everything together. So I'm really excited for how they're going to do that. And I don't doubt that they will. Um, so it should be, should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to rewatching both of these. Um, I have very vivid memories of what the movie looks like that they produce, or the short, or whatever it is um, mm-hmm. that they produce. I have really vivid memories of what that looks like. Um, but the like overall plot of both of these episodes are a little fuzzy for me. Even reading like the description right now, I'm kind of going, "Oh right, that did happen." I don't remember some of this other stuff. <laughs> um, but. I'm very excited to talk about it with you, Allison and Marcus, um, who all notes that the show does not have the best episode titles. And I replied that they have to be better in the Japanese, but yeah. who knows for sure. Um, not us, um, anyway. People who speak um, Japanese. Yeah, yeah, and I do not. Um, so, yeah. Um, so that's it for these two episodes of Keep Your Hands Off Hazoket and the end of week 59. Um, and so, also, and the also. end of episode 200 of Streaming oh, in Place. Gosh. This is episode 200 of Streaming <laughs> in Place? This is episode 200. <laughs> How have I done almost half as many <laughs> episodes right? of Streaming in Place as I have the Televerse already? That's, I mean, we were doing it once a day, every day. That, for that's like how, but months. yeah. 
<laughs> global <is> pandemic. <laughs> Underemployed <laughs> during a global pandemic will do it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that was... Okay. Well, okay, on, on that, that note, note. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll be back next week uh, with the last two episodes of Keep Your Hands Off of Zokin. So thanks everyone for listening. Stay safe and bye. Bye. Thanks, Marcus. Bye.